Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. back everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 370 have a returning guest joining me on the show to uh, talk some more fantasy baseball some fun player debates some guys that are hot cold who would you rather type debates all that kind of good stuff some recent mlb news and probably much much more because we're two giants fans just living the national league leading dream uh you can find oh, yeah. me on twitter at beauty and trick and my guest on the show on twitter at roto nino roto underscore nino he's uh at nbc sports edge fan tracks bases loaded pod you find them all over the place. George Montanez, how we doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you having me on today. I'm excited to talk some baseball uh, with a fellow Giants fan. Right now, we're, uh, you know, on top. We'll see how long it lasts, but it's been fun. You know, we kind of uh, unexpected, right? It, we Coming into the year, it was like, okay, like, it was just, let's play this year out. You know, wait for the young guys to come up. Uh, you know, we'll just see Farhan, you know, make some more, you know, deals to get, you know, some more uh, upside guys. Uh, but uh, yeah, they've kind of been playing like it's like you know that 2010 team where it's just kind of yeah. uh, you know scrappy baseball and getting all kinds of guys off you know waivers or little trades here and there. That uh, yeah, they're putting together a good run here. But we'll see how long it lasts. But it's been fun. Yeah, and Farhan we trust. Like those shirts need to be made somewhere because just mm-hmm. let him do his thing. I'm, and I'm with you going into the season. I'm like, okay, we'll have fun. We're gonna get real baseball again. I get to go to a game. Like this is gonna be cool. Mm-hmm. But we, we're getting like a hundred million off the salary cap after this year. And I'm like, then Farhan can go crazy. Go do your thing. Like the way you built the Dodgers. Go do your thing. To actually see this, I know. Like I keep, we said it. It's it's only middle of May. I get it, and I have no doubt the Dodgers will probably still win the West. I'm not naive, but um, yeah. it's fun. It's really fun to see this this happening because they're doing it with so many weird pieces. I, I like the comp to two, 2010 because if you uh, look back at like those rosters that the Giants won with, it literally reminds me of like the movie Major League when the guys are doing the yard, uh, the, the work on the field and go, who the F are these guys? And it's just like uh-huh. this team just won a World <laughs> Series. Like, who are these guys? So I'm with you. That, yeah, Juan good... Uribe, Cody Ross, yeah. you know. like And they traded uh, for Ross like at the deadline. It wasn't even like a full season. It was just crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, we, we just picked up Talkman and he's man, Talk, Talkman's been coming through for us. It's yeah, it kind of has those 2010 vibes for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. And hey, if they're still in it, there's pieces far and can keep trading. So it can get really mm-hmm. entertaining. And you mentioned the young guy, Ramos is knocking on the door. There's a lot of fun stuff. So 
Before we get into the, the recent news to talk about here, why don't you plug away everything I go? I mentioned where they can find you, but why don't you plug away what you're up to? Yeah, so uh, I'm right now over at uh, NBC Sports Edge, helping out with those uh, daily recaps uh, the, on the on the news feed. Uh, I have a premium article called uh, "Holding It Down," where I kind of highlight, you know, everything going on in middle relief. Uh, you know, maybe future closers, uh, guys that are, you know, maybe pitching long relief that can, you know, get into your lineups as, uh, you know, maybe when you're starting pitchers have a bad matchup or something. So just kind of highlighting everything that's going on in, in middle relief. And then, uh, yeah, still over at Fantrax as well. And then uh, recording with uh, Mike Curlin over at the Bases Loaded Pod. Haven't put anything out recently. Uh, just our schedules have been crazy, but uh, we're going to get back on it soon. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, we're not going to do a, a relievers podcast, but I have to ask you, after you just mentioned your article, you write over there all the time, and the, the change, ever-changing landscape of the position in general – are you more in favor of a saves hold format going forward? Or are you still staying like we got to keep it saves only? Oh man, it's been so frustrating. Yeah, it, it has been crazy. Um, I'm kind of torn on that just because you know I'm just so used to saves and uh, you know the strategy behind the saves and all that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of torn, but I do definitely see the argument for a saves and holds where you could just. Uh, draft the guys with the skills right that's that's what we we, want to see that's who we want um you know playing so yeah i could definitely see the argument for that i'm just kind of on the fence with with that one how about you yeah like in i've played in saves hold before and then i'm in the new tout wards format that they formed with innings pitch instead of wins and saves and holds instead just saves and it makes sense, especially in this era of baseball. I like the innings pitch factor more than wins for 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 sure. I got definitely rewards pitchers more, but the saves holds. It's like you can just wait. There's so many guys getting saves and holds, like or at least holds, not saves. There's so many guys getting holds out there that you don't mm-hmm. have to like waste a lot of draft capital, basically. So there's always right. guys on the waiver wire. So it kind of takes a weird approach to how you like draft and and manage your team. So maybe it's a different format, like it's a it saves and a half a hold or something like there's got, maybe there's a way to, to correlate it differently. I don't know, but um, definitely something that I think we're going to see slowly shift as the ever changing landscape. Cause I don't see this changing anytime soon in baseball with all these, like it's like yeah. running back by committee right now. It saves by committee. It's, it, it's pretty wild times, but um, let's get into some of this recent news. And we'll kick it off as we are recording right now. It's getting close. To, it, first pitch has happened. I see on the bottom line of MLB network here, of the Mariners and the Indians, but we don't know. Jared Clinic's leading off. Logan Gilbert's starting, so he's on the mound right now as we speak. They both got called up. How are you approaching these guys? Um, obviously, in most places, Kalinix was drafted and held. Like, he's sitting on a bench somewhere. Uh, Gilbert might be avail- available. How aggressive are you going to be if these guys are available in your waiver wire? Oh, man. If uh, Gilbert comes out and pitches well today, I mean, I, I think um... – I'm definitely going to be a little more aggressive now with the, you know, prospect pitchers. It's just always tough. You know, it, there's so much volatility there. You just never know, um, you know, really no matter the pedigree, they get just kind of got to come up and, and um, perform. Right. It's just, uh, yeah. But yeah, with Kalenic, definitely excited, excited for both of these guys, really, um, really excited for what they could do. Uh, they really needed, they really needed those six games in the minors, you know, to <laughs> develop. <laughs> oh man, uh, they, they couldn't look yeah. any worse. After, after the comments that one guy made this preseason and then six whole games, it's like, you guys couldn't look any worse right now. Like it's unbelievable. But yeah. um, now I'm with you. Like clinic, 
I think he's a super talented guy. You, you never know exactly how quick they'll pick it up, how the road bumps are going to be, because there's not a ton of hitters that always just jump on and just go from ground one. So you have to kind of wait and see there, but I could see the approach to doing it. I am intrigued with Gilbert for sure, because we've seen him mm-hmm. uh, be very, very good, even in the, his first minor league start, five innings, 67 pitches. I think it was five Ks. He looks filthy. He's got very, very good stuff. It's just, but you said it. How many innings did they let him go? Did they baby him? Like, he only went 67 pitches, and he was still in. It wasn't like he wasn't pitching for a month after spring training. He was getting loose. So it's like, how do they – they're going to limit his innings, and that's where it gets mm-hmm. tricky. So I'm with you, though, because in a world where pitching can be very, very tricky right now, if you need a starting pitcher, I am really excited to see how much Logan Gilbert goes for. Like, I'm going to – when you when you um, bid in Fab, are you a very aggressive guy on minor league players, like the Fabapalooza stuff? Are you going crazy, or are you kind of more of a, a timid uh, Fab player? Uh, no, I mean, it, it kind of depends. I think I'm, I'm more aggressive uh, myself, but I'm also, I'm also one of the guys who uh, is holding those prospects like yeah. on the bench uh, as, as long as I can. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely going to be aggressive on Gilbert uh, if he's available out there and uh, he comes out and pitches well today. Now I do think, you know, that they're going to keep that. They do have a six man rotation, uh, right, so that's also kind of yeah. gonna you know limit um, uh, how how many innings he gets, but uh, yeah, just given the pitching landscape with all the injuries, with all the volatility, uh, yeah, if he comes out and pitches well today, he's definitely gonna be one uh, to go after. Yeah, part of me wants him to kind of have a mediocre outing and kind of deter some people from bidding on him because, in my mind, and I could be totally wrong because the Mariners are the Mariners, the fact they call them up, I think he's gonna be there to stay unless something goes horribly wrong. Like he's, I think he's up for the rest of the season, but we never know. So I'm with you. I'm usually not super aggressive on these, these um, younger players, but I think I'll throw at least a decent three figure bid out there. We'll see how it goes, but I'm usually never aggressive enough. That's the problem. Like in Fabapalooza a couple of years ago when there were six or seven prospects, I had zero of them. So like, and I was, I thought aggressive, but apparently not aggressive enough. So we'll see how that goes. It'll be fun to see on a Sunday night where those numbers fall. Let's go to the Houston Astros. Jose Urquidy has been a pretty good pitcher for these guys. They've been needing somebody to hold down the fort. Framber Valdez is throwing a bullpen on Friday, so that's good. He's they're, they're hoping for end of May, early June most likely for Framber to come back. But now Urquidy goes down. He's going to get an MRI in his shoulder. It didn't look good when it took place, uh, George. What's your outlook on uh, if, you, if you're an Urquidy owner? I know you like being super aggressive on Luis Garcia. Are you looking somewhere else? What are your thoughts here? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, that's a good point with Luis Garcia because I think if Urquidy is to miss time, uh, even with Framber coming back, it kind of guarantees Garcia um, at least a little more time there in the rotation. So he would definitely be an interesting one to go after or, you know, maybe you're maybe you're the guy that needs to put down the triple figures on uh, Logan Gilbert, right? True. So, um, yeah, it's def- definitely a bummer uh, with uh, Urquidy going down. I guess you just kind of wait and see what the results of uh, that MRI, um, how that comes out. Yeah, it didn't look good when he left, but obviously that could just be frustration and stuff. So we'll see. He went. Uh, he underwent the MRI on Thursday, so when you're listening to this on Friday or Saturday, we should have the results by then. So we should know if it's panic mode on Fab on Sunday or it's like, can we just w- wade the water for a little bit? And the other thing I'll mention real quick, I mentioned it on the last episode with Toby, 
I know in 15s it's not likely, but in 12-team leagues unless I've seen Fran Valdez on some waiver wires, you might want to jump on that now before it gets really expensive. So I'm just going to throw that one out there. If he's out there, start uh, – like every week I've had him as like a fifth bid on a, a player and I, it never gets that far. It's just like, well, if I if, if all my guys get taken ahead of me, I'm going to get Framber. And now I'm going to have to probably be a little more aggressive now. All right, let's go to the Philadelphia Phillies. First, we don't have to go deep on this, but JTR all of a sudden hit the COVID list because he got hit in the knee a couple days ago. They didn't need a, they didn't need a hitter, so maybe he's having vaccine side effects. It just seemed very odd and convenient. That's all I'm going to say. But yeah. um, it's, a, it's an interesting way to use the system, if so. Uh, so he'll be back. Don't I wouldn't panic on JTR. But I do want to talk about Didi Gregorius. Um, he's out of the lineup again on Thursday. He's been uh, having some elbow issues. And this is interesting because Nick Maton is getting some sh- uh, starts there. He doesn't really move the needle for me, but um, what's your level of uh, interest in either Maton? Are you uh, just are you what are you doing with Didi basically? Because he's kind of been frustrating to begin with this year, and now he's battling mm-hmm. an elbow injury. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could definitely see him hitting the waiver wire in you know shallow leagues, um, maybe like in a fifteen team league. You might not have, you know, given all the injuries we've already been dealing with, you might not have anybody to to replace him with. So you're definitely hoping for some good news there. It is day to day right now, so hopefully he comes back. But yeah, like you said, he's already kind of been frustrating uh, so far. Um, but but yeah, it's definitely a, a tough situation. I, I wouldn't even know, you know, like who who might be out there right now, just because, yeah. like I said, uh, with all the injuries already, uh, you know, it's just it's already been a grind to manage. Yeah, I've already had to put bids in on guys like Freddie Galvis and Jose Iglesias, who, given they're playing well, but mm-hmm. you know, back in April, that wasn't even like on the radar of possibilities. So uh, that that's yeah. kind of just it's it's wild. It's like I don't think I've seen it this bad. And if you Derek Rhodes has pretty much told us it hasn't been this bad, but it's been pretty crazy. And Christian Walker, another guy here, he spent a lot of time on the DL with an oblique injury. Well, he re-injured the same area on the right oblique. So this really concerns me because, A, you drafted him for power, and if he's got his oblique screwed up, power can be really troublesome. B, if he re-injured this, I have a feeling this might be a little bit longer stint on the IL. Um, let's assume you have no IL spots left. Is Christian Walker a drop for you? Oh, man. Um, yeah, yeah, he probably would be a drop um, right now. It's just, man, between the injuries and – all the COVID stuff going on right now is it, it crazy. You know, I, like uh, I got Luke Voigt back in a few leagues this week and then I lose Fernando Tatis, um, you know, and uh, Eric Hosmer is out and Will Myers and now Gleyber Torres. It, uh, yeah. Between the, all this going on and, and the injuries, it's, it's tough, but yeah, the Walker situation doesn't look good having to hit the IL a second time. Um, yeah. I, I think what this does do is uh, they probably move Pavin Smith over to uh, first base. They've already, the Dynamax have already kind of been mixing things up uh, every game, like between Estrubo Cabrera and uh, Eduardo Escobar. Uh, now they have Andrew Young up and uh, maybe he's going to get more playing time. Uh, maybe uh, Josh Rojas, uh, you know, he's been playing really well. And so they've all kind of been rotating uh, just on a game-to-game basis, but uh, it just seems like now with Christian Walker out, that'll just kind of solidify all of their playing time on an everyday basis. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's like maybe not go looking for the next first baseman because you're not going to get another Christian Walker on the waiver mm-hmm. wire. But like I've been a big Pavin Smith fan for a while. I've had I got him in a bunch of leagues already, um, and I was getting nervous as guys like Cattell Marte is about to start his rehab. I think Friday or Saturday. So like there's another piece of the puzzle that could have kicked 
Smith out once Walker returned, but he looks like he's going to be cemented in, as you mentioned. Josh Rojas is playing great, so if you can mm-hmm. snag him, do it. Like He's stealing bags. He's doing it all. But uh, you mentioned a few other guys. Andy Young is playing kind of sneaky good since he's gotten a little, mm-hmm. little chance to swing. And Dalton Varsho got called up and wasn't playing, but now he's played like three or four games in a row. So that's a little bit entertaining in your deeper, deeper leagues. Um, so maybe look within the Diamondbacks and see where you can add on instead of looking for the next you know, power-hitting first baseman that's probably not available out there. Uh, st- sticking with the D-backs. Now, this one stunk because this happened about like a half hour before game time on uh, Wednesday, I believe it was. Zach goes to IL saying today with a sprained right elbow. I don't know. This seems kind of – it's injury, minor sprain of one section of his UCL. Well, for those keeping track at home, the UCL is where Tommy John surgery takes place. So not saying that's what it is, but it is slightly concerning. So what do you uh, – what's your level of concern with Gallon, and um, what are you doing with Zach Gallon? Yeah, that one is tough. Um, I, I guess you kind of just got to wait and see at this point. But, um, yeah, we've seen pitchers kind of get shut down for a while and then come back. And even when he does come back, you're just not sure – uh, you know, how uh, the workload they're, that they're going to give them. You know, we've seen, um, uh, you know, like someone like Tyler Glass now went through this a couple years ago, uh, came back, at the, missed like two months, came back at the end of the season, uh, didn't get very many innings, you know. So it's, yeah, that that one is tough. Um, I guess, I guess maybe in a shallow league, um, you might, you might have to drop them if you don't have like an IL uh, spot. But yeah, this, this is just so unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty tough. Um, Mike Soroka gonna have exploratory surgery on his Achilles, which is gonna be wild because he came back from this injury. Now he's now he's not healthy, obviously. So I'm gonna have exploratory surgery to set him back even farther. For me, he's a drop going forward. Now I didn't want to draft him to begin with, but I know people are holding out hope. What's your thoughts on Soroka now? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. As far as the, as far as the Soroka situation, um, I think he's definitely a drop. And um, yeah, that's a, another one that's a, a bummer there because, you know, he, he had the surgery. And then I think he was missed time with, um, was it a shoulder th- uh, problem? Or uh, might have been someone else I, I'm thinking about. But yeah, uh, still wasn't ready to come back. And then now the Achilles bothering him again. And then, yeah, I mean, the Achilles, you know, for pitchers or for any athlete, really, it's it's just so important. Um, so I definitely hate to see that. Um, but yeah, yeah he, he's probably a safe drop right now. Yeah, he, I believe it was a shoulder issue with him as well when he was trying to rehab his way back. And then, you know, Bryce Wilson got the start the other day. They have a couple other options, Kyle Wright and everything. Looks like Bryce Wilson's going to get the first crack at it. Are you interested in a guy like Bryce Wilson, or is the profile just not working for you? You'd, you'd rather go somewhere else right now. Uh, I think I'd rather go somewhere else at this point. Um, yeah, he's kind of been up and down uh, in the rotation, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't think I'm I'm going in on uh, on Wilson. Yeah, it's it's a very very tricky one. You kind of hinted at the Tatis thing, Hosmer. We have a Padres COVID situation. Not a lot you can do about it. Just kind of keep an eye on it um, and go with that. I will ask you this one though. Jacob Degrom goes to the IL, ten uh, day IL with right side tightness. Like he he hurt his his side before. To, he kind of got a start pushed back through pretty well, but then kind of left to start early. They weren't too concerned about it. He was about ready to pitch again. They're like oh no, never mind. Let's put him on the IL and see how it goes from there. 
you know, I'm a DeGrom fan. I'm still very confident in him being good. But what level of concern do you have with this side issue? Because it seems to be creeping up a few times with him. Yeah, I mean, the it's been, you know, little soft tissue things here and there throughout the last couple of years. But even even so, he's been one of the top pitchers. So I'm not too concerned. I just I you want him to, you know, you want the Mets to do the right thing and just wait for him to be completely ready because you know when he comes back and, and he's good, he's going to be, again, probably the top pitcher um, in the game because, man, that yeah, every, every DeGom star is just so fun to watch because he's just on another planet. Um, so I, I'm not too concerned as far as, like, the full season outlook. I just hope that, you know, he comes back when he's ready, right? And and uh, hopefully that's not too long. But, um, yeah, you really can't hope for anything really more than that, just, you know, for him to come back healthy. Um, and hopefully it's not something that uh, occurs again. And that's really just going to depend on, you know, how they handle the situation at this point. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. So we'll see how that plays out. Then a couple other pieces of news we don't need to break down. They went, they happened on Thursday. So there's something for people to keep an eye on. Brandon Belt missed, uh, he was held out of the lineup with hand tightness which is tricky because the first base position is already kind of weak as it is, and he's been playing great. So um, that's one to keep an eye on. Glaber Torres tested positive for COVID. So he's back on the COVID IL, which he had COVID last year. He's been vaccinated. He has COVID again. So keep an eye on that situation. And then Ronald Acuna um, hurt his ankle tripping over first base today. X-rays came back negative. He might miss a game or two, so keep an eye on that as well. As you head into the weekend and try to set your NFC lineups, wondering if the best player in baseball is playing or not. So enjoy. Um, let's hit some player debates up here, George. It's going to be some fun ones. I mentioned to the listeners at the beginning of the show that it's kind of like two players that are kind of producing similar this this year, or one guy's you know producing way better than his ADP, and one guy isn't. Which one do you want going forward? So on and so forth. And we'll kick it off at the first base position with Jose Abreu who's got seven home runs on the year, 31 RBIs, but 238, not what you'd expect from uh, Jose Abreu, against Jesus Aguilar hitting 291 with nine home runs and 31 RBIs, and he's walking over 12% of the time. He has been ridiculous of late, George. So going forward, the rest of the season, do you take the reigning AL MVP in Jose Abreu, or do you just keep riding this Jesus Aguilar hot streak all the way to the end of the season? Man, uh, I love what Aguilar is doing right now. I've been a, a big uh, Jesus Aguilar fan. Uh, you know, he, back in 2018, he had a, you know, Abreu-esque season, uh, 274, uh, 35 home runs, 108 RBI. Um, but you got to stick with the MVP. Uh, got to stick with the MVP with Abreu. I mean, even even with his low batting average, I mean, he's still, they're they're equal right now in, in RBI, right? I think they're, they're just about, they I think he has 31. 31. Yep. Yeah, so and, and you know Abreu is going to turn it around, um, but I do. I mean, Aguilar has been sneaky good this year, and I think he can. I'm buying like I, he can keep it up. He can finish. Um, you know, the the team context is definitely better with the White Sox. That's why you see the the counting stats where they are with Abreu hitting in the middle of that lineup. You know, he's going to drive in a lot of runs. Um, I, I think with Abreu entering his mid 30s here, one thing you know. It, for him to maintain his power output, it might come at the expense of a little bit of batting average. Um, but regardless, he's not going to be a 230 hitter. And uh, again, hitting in the middle of that lineup, he's going to drive in a ton of runs. Um, as much as I love what Aguilar is doing right now, I got to stick with uh, Abreu. 
Yeah, it's a tough one because like I have I have Aguilar late in a lot of drafts and I'm loving it now, but we've seen the slumps as well with Jesus Aguilar. Like there was one there was one season he just was so bad he almost got kicked out of baseball basically. So <laughs> not kicked out, but like banned from baseball because no one wanted to sign him. So it, it can happen really quickly. And Abreu, we've seen it time and time again. The age is the interesting thing is is Father Time who was undefeated finally catching up. Um, he's striking out a lot more this year compared to usual, but he's also walking a lot more. So, you know, maybe the patience there is overall contacts down, which is something to keep an eye on. Maybe he's just having a slow go of it. That's the beauty of this season compared to last season. We get a full season. So we, we don't want to be shocked if from this point, from this podcast forward, if Abreu hits like 330 and hits, you know, 25 more home runs and stuff, no one would be shocked with Jose Abreu in that respect. So I'm with you on Abreu. I guess what I'll ask you in this one, you said you're buying Jesus Aguilar, so you wouldn't. If you were a Jesus Aguilar owner, you would not be trying to trade him at his peak right now, would you? I don't think so, just because uh, he is one of those under the radar names that you know I don't think you're going to get fair value for um, for what like his output's going to be for the rest of the season. Um, so I, I think if you are uh, rostering Jesus Aguilar, you're kind of just taking the value and riding with it. Okay, and then we we both kind of agree. If you can go get Jose Abreu for a, a cheaper price tag, go ahead and grab him. So it'll be fun to see where that one kind of pans out by the end of the season. But I, I would have my money on Abreu and that team context kind of coming through there. Another first base one, and this is fun because you got Vladito, who everybody loves, and he's just a human highlight field. He's hitting 311 with eight home runs, 26 RBIs, even a stolen base. But then you have Jared Walsh. He's hitting 328 with seven home runs and two stolen bases and 29 RBI. So very, very similar stat lines. You have the uh, kind of the profile of Vlad Jr. that's everywhere. And you have Jared Walsh, who more and more fans are starting to know about, but unless you played fantasy baseball, you probably didn't know who the guy was. Who do you want going forward? Man, uh, yeah, this is another good one because, I, I again, Walsh is someone who I'm absolutely buying into, love the changes he's made kind of carrying over that mini breakout from 2020 into this season. Um, but I am going to stick with Vlad. I, I think Walsh has definitely entered, you know, another tier, um, a higher tier there, um, maybe right behind Vlad, uh, just because of the the changes that he's carried over and what he's been able to do. But uh, one knock on Walsh is the lefty splits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he much better kills righties, uh, Really good against right-handed pitchers, but uh, not as good against lefties. So, uh, you know, Vlad is a little bit more of a balanced hitter, uh, doesn't strike out, you know, making a lot of contact and making a lot of hard contact. And we'll see if his, uh, you know, launch angle uh, sustains over the season. But, you know, a 9.5-degree um, launch angle is uh, a high, a career high right now so far for, for Vladito. So um, I will take Guerrero, but... Um, yeah, definitely, again, another guy that I'm buying here in Jared Walsh. Yeah, I'm going to take Vlad, too, but it's tough because I love what Walsh is doing there. But those splits mm-hmm. are dramatic. The reason why all of a sudden it's a lot closer than I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago is with Pujols out of the way, Walsh is pretty much playing every day now. So that's not a mm-hmm. concern because that was one of my bugaboos during draft season. Like I have him in a few spots here and there because he kept falling towards the end of draft season. But you had to pay such a premium at one point for a guy that was in a platoon, and it was just like, I, I can't, I can't do that. But now that he's playing every day, I know I would have drafted him more often. I'll say that much. But mm-hmm. I still would have drafted Vlad before him. So I think I'm going to stick with that. Like you said, the, the profile of Vlad, the the launch angle will be interesting to see if that continues for sure. But the hard hit tools and everything, it's hard to deny that. And as long as 
they just keep him at first base or DH, they're going to be just fine. So we're going to go Vlad, but the reason I'm bringing some of these up, they might seem simple to the listeners, but it kind of puts the spotlight on the other guy too, that, hey, this guy's doing pretty darn good, so maybe you can go trade for him or you can go do something because, mm-hmm. like, like George said, Jesus Aguilar, like if you play fantasy a lot, you know who he is, but maybe if you're like in a kind of relaxed league or something, they might not think he's that big of a deal. You can go snag him. Jared Walsh, similar thing. So something to think about when you when you put these two together. Now, these two first basemen, they were drafted pretty darn close to each other in like the fifth or sixth first basemen's off the board. You got Matt Olson hitting 267 with eight home runs, 22 RBIs on the season. And then you got Pete Alonzo hitting 259 with five home runs, 17 RBIs. So Olson's not producing them. He's even hitting for average right now, which is pretty darn impressive. Uh, we know Pete can get hot at times. I've always been team Matt Olson, but um, there's still a lot of team P- uh, Pete Alonzo fans out there. So I want to get your take on these, these two first basemen. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a really good one because if you look under the hood, I mean, they're, they're very similar right now. Both have a 19% barrel rate. Uh, both of them are kind of striking out, um, you know, they're not striking out as much as, as usual. Matt Olson, especially, 21% strikeout rate. Uh, for someone like Matt Olson, a power hitter, love to see that strikeout rate. Uh, yeah, like you said, 267 batting average. He did hit 267 in 2019, um, right, and, and hit, you know, over 30 home runs, so. Uh, yeah, I kind of always thought of Matt Olson as maybe a little bit more of a uh, little bit more balanced hitter. Um, whereas Pete, you kind of know what you're going to get. You're going to get 250 to 260 uh, and all the home runs. I think, you know, he's definitely capable of turning on the power here again. Only five home runs, but 19% barrel rate. You know, more power is coming. Uh, so this one, this one was a tough one. And I had generally been, you know, team uh, Pete, but. Uh, I love what Olsen's doing, and uh, I'm going to take Olsen at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm Team Matt Olsen. I've been there through and through. I've broken down the differences between the two. A couple of years ago, I know Curlin was on the same page from your show that uh, everybody was on Pete Alonso off his monster rookie of the year season. I'm like, no, it's Matt Olsen still. And last year was not the best example because Matt Olsen was horrible. But um, you mentioned the changes. He's back to that 2019 form. The strikeout, the, the change in the strikeout rate is tremendous. He almost cut it in half, which is saying a lot when he's still striking out like 21.5% of the time. Like that's how bad it was in 2020. So I'm there. And with Pete, it's a matter if you if you feed him good pitches, he's obviously going to crush the baseball. There's no questioning that. But when you make him expand the zone, which he has a tendency to do, it gets really interesting. And that's been kind of the, the big slumps he has he loses plate discipline in a big way. So that's something to keep an eye on with him. And I like I actually like the context of the A's better than the Mets, which sounds weird also. I get it because mm-hmm. the Mets are playing good ball. But I love the division the A's are in compared to the Mets and just the overall atmos- atmosphere for Olsen. So I'm Matt Olsen, but it's a very interesting one because depending on, I guess, what coast you live on, there's a ton of Pete Alonso fans. And I, mm-hmm. uh, I anger them often when I refer to this kind of debate on my show. All right, let's head to second base. This one seems pretty easy, but I wanted to bring it up because Nick Solak doesn't get enough love. I, I, I still, I don't think he gets enough love that he should be getting. Uh, he's hitting 266 on the year, seven home runs, 25 runs scored, 19 RBIs, two stolen bases. So he's checking the box in pretty much every fantasy relevant category. He's going up against Marcus Simeon, hitting 266 as well, eight homers, 20 runs, 20 RBIs, six stolen bases. So very, very similar profiles. Um, both having great starts to the season. Obviously, the Toronto might be the better ball club, but uh, where do you go with these two going forward? Yeah, this one, uh, another good one here, Bubba. I mean, um, 
I, I did think that Solak was undervalued in, in dra- draft season. And then, you know, once Semyon signed with uh, Toronto, you kind of saw him get that boost in, in the ADP. Um, both, you know, similar numbers here. I love that Toronto, you know, both teams here are aggressive on the Bates paths. Uh, I like that Simeon, you know, he's a perfect six for six uh, in steals, uh, eight home runs, and he's been really turning it on lately, kind of started off slow. It's really comes down to the team context for me here. I would take Simeon, but it's really not by a whole lot. Uh, two very comparable hitters and, and love what Solak's doing uh, too, but I, I think really it just comes down to that team context and Simeon leading off for, for those Blue Jays, um, yeah, in line to score a, a ton of runs and uh, probably uh, drive in a little few more runs than uh, Solak would be in line to as well. Yeah, that that's the bottom line, I think, is Simeon leading off for that Blue Jays offense that literally some nights it feels like one through nine are all just being productive. It's a ridiculous lineup, and I don't see that slowing down as they go from Dunedin to Buffalo, basically Coors South to Coors East. Like, it's just they're going to just rake this season. So I like Simeon a lot. When they when he signed with the Blue Jays, I was like, oh, man. And then he's going to play yeah. second base and get eligibility at second and short. It's just like – and he still wasn't going that high in drafts. Or, like, it was crazy, George. It was just it was nuts. But I love Solak. I'm with you. I was like, he's underappreciated. He had a decent run in 2020. Um, he was a good prospect out of the race system. Got traded to, to uh, Texas. I think he's still very, very good. So I'll, the basis of the conversation here is if you can go get Nick Solak from someone, I would. I doubt you're going to get Marcus Simeon from many people, but I'd be getting both of these guys if you could. And I wouldn't be shocked if Solak outperforms Simeon by the end of the year, but I think it's Simeon's to lose basically. So it's, it's a very, very, and it's just cool seeing how close their stat lines are this far into the season. I didn't put this one on the outline, but just staring at the sheets. We don't have to go deep into it at all if you don't want to, but just for fun, Cronenworth is hitting 277 with three homers, 20 runs, 11 RBIs, three stolen bases. DJ LeMahieu, 272, three homers, 24 runs, only nine RBIs, two stolen bases. Would you rather have Cronenworth or DJ going forward? Oh, man, yeah, that is another good one. Uh, I, I feel like it's just a, a matter of time before DJ goes on a heater. Aren't um, the whole Yankees go on a heater? <laughs> They're just so yeah. cold. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, they are. Um yeah, I feel like it's just a matter of time. I would still take DJ at this point. But again, Cronenworth, another one of these guys who, I mean, it's perfect that, you know, you're highlighting them here because uh, they were undervalued in draft season. Um, they're, you know, maybe some of them are, you know, surprises so far. And uh, yeah, I mean, Cronenworth, the big thing with him was the playing time. And he's he's getting the playing time. Uh, picking up where he left off last year, and uh, yeah, he's he's looking good. Another guy who maybe you know in your home league or something, the name value isn't there. Maybe you can get him, um, you know, in a relatively good deal. Uh, but I, for now, I will take. Uh, I'll still take DJ. Uh, just yeah, I, I feel like he's due, uh, and he did he did have a two homer game recently. Um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of time before he he gets it going. Yeah, I'm with you. It's uh, the RBIs were never really going to be a thing with him. That's why I think it's like it could be a turn off to some people having nine RBIs right now. But he's not there to drive in Yankees. He's there to get on base and score. So that's what that's what DJ's there to do. And basically, just reading that stat line, there might be people that are down on him right now. So mm-hmm. if you can go acquire DJ LeMahieu before the summer gets really hot in New York, I'd highly recommend it. So something to think about. Um, Ty France, this is a guy that I was in love with going into the season. Started out pretty good. It's been slow now, hitting 234, three home runs, 
21 runs scored in 14 RBIs. But he's. Com- I'm going to compare him to Brandon Lau, who everyone was in love with. I couldn't buy into it. I really couldn't, but I, I could see it if some people did. He's hitting 197 this year with six home runs. They both walk in 10% of the time, but Lau's striking out almost 32% of the time. So going forward, like this is one of those I think is actually way more interesting than some of the other ones we've done so far. Ty mm-hmm. France or Brandon Lau? Now this is uh, when I was going through these player debates. This is the this is the first one where I'm actually going to take the guy who was going later here yeah. in Ty France. Um, I, I'm with you. I was a big fan of France coming into the season. Uh, you know, he's been playing every day. He did. You know, he started off really hot and has cooled down a bit. But um, you know, he's not striking out too much. You know, he's um, has a good line drive rate, good contact rate. I, I have you know faith that he's gonna you know keep his playing time. You look at Brandon Lau, two for 42 against left-handed pitching, uh, and then with that strikeout rate, you know, when when Tampa Bay has guys like Vidal Brujan and uh, Wander Franco, you know, just waiting to come up and and, and hit, um, you know, someone like Brandon Lau could definitely lose at bats. And uh, so I think this is one of those where um, I'm actually going to go with Ty France. Yeah, I'm going to go with France. A couple of things you mentioned there. Tampa Bay's got the young kids that are knocking on the door, like big time knocking on the door. Um, so that's one thing to be concerned about with Lau. And then with France, the the main part of the Mariners prospect system, for the most part, they're all outfielders for one. Mm-hmm. And France has so much eligibility all throughout the infield for your roster, which is huge. And even during this slump, they're still hitting him in the middle of the order, which mm-hmm. tells which shows to me that they're like, okay, he's still our guy. We're still trusted Ty France. So that goes a long way for me. I'm gonna keep keep plugging him in there. I think he's a heck of a ball player, and I, I, it was funny going into the season. I saw people saying that Brandon Lau had better seasons than Ozzy Albies, and I know Ozzy Albies isn't having a great start to the year, but even that was silly to me. So we'll see how that finishes up. Maybe I just put you know my foot in my mouth, but um, I just wasn't a Brandon Lau guy. And uh, we're gonna. I hope he doesn't lose his job, but hitting a buck ninety seven, striking out thirty two percent of the time. You mentioned the lefty splits. That's a recipe for at least a platoon, if not losing your job. So mm-hmm. that, that's going to be troublesome. All right, it's so one more here in the infield. This is a, another fun one for me. You got Jose Altuve hitting 286, four homers, stolen base. Starting to look a little more like that Altuve of old that we're used to. And then you have Tommy Edmond, who I loved the value with him. I knew the power wasn't a big thing, but everything else was great. He's hitting 278. He still has, already has two homers, five stolen bases. Would you rather have Jose Altuve or Tommy Edmond for the rest of the season? Yeah, and uh, Edmund, another two stolen bases today. So definitely yeah, so love that. Eight. Yeah, or seven or you have to seven now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Altuve, I-, I was taking Altuve in a lot of drafts. Uh, you know, I was loving where he was going. I thought, you know, he's a good bounce back candidate. He, you know, really turned it on in the playoffs last year. He's kind of carried it over. Uh, you kind of, you know, he-, he has 10 fewer games played than Edmund. And uh, I believe, yeah, he. Because of the guys. COVID, yeah. uh-huh. and, and but the counting stats are still there. Uh, he's hitting two eighty six, like you said, four home runs. I'm going to go with Altuve here. Uh, I, I like what he's doing, and you know I love the team context. Uh, I think he's a safer bet for batting average, power, runs, RBI, uh, and so you know I, I think he's got four categories on Tommy Edmond going forward. Yeah, the biggest reason for Edmonds the flexibility on the bases for me, but I'm with you on the overall Altuve. And that's why I said earlier he's looking more like the Altuve of old. Uh, last mm-hmm. season it was so rough, but then in the postseason he started showing up again. 
he's looking really good. And if you, like you said, he's got 10 fewer games and the overall production is pretty close. So I'm going to go with you on Altuve as well. But man, Edmund is doing much more than I expected. Like I, I was mainly taking him when I drafted him because second base was drying up quickly, the flexibility and give me some stolen bases. That's all I really wanted. And he's, he's already overachieving my expectations as it is. But um, mm-hmm. I think I do. I think I do. want Altuve going forward. As you said, that'd be a, Fun one to uh, to keep a track. I almost need to like save this show sheet for later in the year and just kind of go back and look at how these guys are doing now. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Let's head to the shortstop position now. This one gets an intriguing to me. You got Bo Bichette, who most people love, hitting two seventy three, eight homers, six stolen bases, doing a little bit of everything for the Jays. But then you got Trevor Story, who's having a he had a slow start to the year. He was Mister Warning Track Power. If you followed Twitter, mm-hmm. it was so frustrating. He's hitting two seventy eight, very similar to Bo. He has four home runs. And five stolen bases, though. So they're both doing power speed, both average. Coorsfield hasn't heated up yet. Do you want Bichette or Story going forward? Oh, man. Now, this one is hard. You know, I, I was, oh, man, I was big on all of these uh, shortstops in, going in the first, second, third round. And Bichette's definitely justified his second round uh, ADP so far. Mm-hmm. But. I got to stick with story. Like you made a, you know, you make a great point with Coors. Coors has had some bad weather so far uh, this season. Once it heats up over there in, in Colorado, uh, I have no worries at all about uh, the power, you know, coming for, for Trevor story. Uh, yeah. First few weeks of the season were kind of frustrating because it just seemed like everything was going, you know, right to the wall. Uh, the, the, you know, Everything under the hood looked great for Story. He was just getting really unlucky. Uh, so you know, I, I think um, I think I got to stick with with Story here, but it's definitely a tough one. And I think it's more it's more Bichette justifying right now where he was going in drafts. Yeah, it's Bichette has definitely justified it a hundred percent, like you're saying, which is um, it's just crazy because I've always I've always been a huge Bichette fan. I pounded the drum for him the last couple of years, but even going into the draft season this year, I'm like, I don't know if I can pay that price tag. For like with the other guys around him, I just I couldn't stomach it. Now I'm kind of regretting it a little bit. But uh, Baez at least finally started hitting. That made me feel a little better. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's Bichette's been awesome. Like Story here, for instance. I'm not going to go through every ballpark, but one of the cool things that uh, Baseball Savant added over this last couple months is the expected home runs by ballpark. So he has four home runs on the year. In Colorado, he should only have three. That's how like he's hit into the. Everyone thinks Coors Field for power. It is when it's warm. But it's mainly more of like a doubles and triples ballpark because it's so big. Mm-hmm. In Anaheim, Jorge or George, sorry, he his four home runs. He'd actually have fourteen. Um, oh, oh yeah. wow! <laughs> Oakland, he'd have twelve in Oakland of all coliseums. Um, you know, Yankee Stadium fourteen. I'm just trying to look at the big outliers. Nationals thirteen, Milwaukee thirteen. There's like over half the ballparks he'd have double digit home runs right now, and he has four. So I'm not saying this is the end all be all, obviously but just shows you how unlucky he's been. So I'm with you on story. Once that thing heats up, the only concern I kind of have, but if they, if it happens, it shouldn't be that big a deal. He could easily be traded. So that's something to keep in mind. You'd imagine if he got traded, though, it's probably going to a good situation. So it really shouldn't mm-hmm. affect him. But that is something you might take you out of Coors Field. So we'll have to see how that goes. But I'm with you on that. I just, I love Bichette. I hope I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I really do. I want Bichette to just go like 25-25 and shut me up. Like, go do it. But, um, yeah, I'll go Trevor Story as well. Now, this one's a lot closer because Corey Seager was awesome last year. Not going to deny that one bit. 
I still couldn't buy into the hype because he's either hurt a lot or just the production is can't, it has been consistent. And so far, it's been a little bit of both, hitting 262 with four home runs and one steal. And then my boy, Javi Baez, who I was all in on this draft season. I was drafting him everywhere. He's hitting 252 with eight home runs and six stolen bases. And the average is slowly climbing up because it was dreadful to start the year, even though the power and speed are still there. But would you rather have Corey Seager, the defending National League MVP, or Javi Baez the rest of the way? Yeah, so this was another good one. Um, I love that Baez has, uh, you know, been running. Uh, he's been aggressive on the base pass. You know, you're not going to get any of that from Seager. Like he might have stolen his only base already uh, this season. Uh, so yeah, this one's tough, and I think this one comes down a little bit more to team context. Now, Seager, he, I do think, you know, he's definitely not putting up the same metrics uh, that he was, you know, that he was putting up last year. Um, but they're still strong, still strong, you know, 50% um, hard hit rate. Uh, he, he's still making good quality of contact. I do think he's been underperforming a bit. I, I'm not really too worried as far as like batting average um, and, and power go. I, I think those are going to return. But, uh, you know, with Baez, given his start to the season, you kind of know, like, if you've played this game for you know, long enough, if you watch this game for long enough, you know what kind of player Baez is and you know he's going to go through some of those stretches. Uh, but, you know, you you know what to expect at the end of the season. He's going to have the power and speed. It, it just comes, his profile, uh, it just comes with his profile, you know, the volatility um, throughout the year. Uh, so, yeah, he's definitely getting hot. I believe he's hitting like 300 in May so far. Yep. So, uh, yeah, uh, really, you know, not too concerned there with Baez as far as like rest the rest of the season goes if, if you panicked, uh, you know, through the first couple of weeks. Um yeah, d- not, nothing to worry there. So this one does come, I think, a little more uh, team dependent. You know, I, I think uh, basically you're exchanging batting average and speed between um, Corey Seager and, and Javier Baez here. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, the, the speed is why I drafted Baez um, at that point in the draft, thinking, okay, maybe if things click 2020, if things click, if not 2015, something like that. Like he's on pace for 2020, which is crazy to me that he's running this much already, but I'll take it. Um, and people will say, oh, he can't hit 250 because of this and that. Well, his Babbitt's only 328, which is not crazy high in the grand scheme of things. So um, I, I think I think he's right where he needs to be. I'll take Javi Baez in this one because I want that speed aspect out of my shortstop. And I'm just, I'm just worried with Seager between, A, there's so many moving parts in L.A. and they'll rest guys, they'll do this. If there's any little bump or bruise, I'll go sit on the 10-day IL. We're good. Don't worry about it. Um, so those little things worry me with, with Seager and company. So I'll go Baez here. Maybe it's just me trying to justify my draft picks, but that's where I'll be on that one. Now, this one, most of the ones I've done so far have similar stat lines. This one obviously varies, but you'll, you guys will understand why because they got drafted right next to each other, basically. Close enough. So you have Tim Anderson, who went deep again on – Thursday, so now he has five home runs on the year, hitting 308, six, six stolen bases, playing great, as you'd expect. 408, Babbitt, right in line with his career, what he does, because he hits the ball hard on the ground all the time, or just hard, period, all the time. And then you have Francisco Lindor. He's hitting 202 with two homers, two stolen bases. From this point on, so not the end stat line on the season, this point on, would you rather have Francisco Lindor or Tim Anderson? I I have so much Tim Anderson, and I'm gonna stick with Tim Anderson. <laughs> Love Timmy. Um, yeah, I, I thought that you know he was kind of Anderson was kind of the last of that shortstop tier. 
uh, going, you know, in the first, second, third round. And I was just taking him everywhere in the third round, like, you know, beginning to middle of the third round. Um, because I thought, you know, he could provide similar stats to those to that, you know, Bichette and Lindor. And I mean, even with some missed time, uh, you know, five home runs, six steals, uh, you love the team context and Lindor. I mean, no doubt Lindor is a talented player, but it's his first year, you know, in a new ballpark on a new team. We've seen, you know, everything going on there in New York with, with, um, you know, it's definitely different than Cleveland, right? New York's definitely a different place uh, than Cleveland. So it might just take Lindor a bit of time to adjust, but uh, from here on out. Yeah. I'm taking Tim Anderson. Yeah, I'm a big Tim Anderson guy as well. I didn't draft Lindor anywhere this year. Didn't even think about it. Really, never really crossed yeah, my mind. He's going to be better than the 202. That's part of the discussion mm-hmm. point here. He's going to obviously be better there. He's starting to realize there's raccoons and rats in New York, <laughs> so that's good. Um, that that might help him get more comfortable, kind of get used to the environment around him. He's going to get better. He's hit better over the last week or so. Like he's starting to get a little more comfortable. It looks like, but it's a whole different animal going from little old Cleveland to New York. Like people talk about it a lot, but until you watch a player do it, not many can transition very smoothly. It takes a little mm-hmm. time to do. Um, he's going to be better. There's no questioning that. But Tim Anderson, as long as he stays healthy, like you mentioned, he's already missed time and he's still putting up great numbers. The dude just hits. And that offense mm-hmm. around him, given they keep losing players, they've lost Lou Bob, they've lost Eloy, and this all stinks. But that top of the order is still dangerous. And that's where he sits. So I'm 100% there. Heck, even, even Vaughn started to hit the baseball. So yeah. there's 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 a lot to like with that team, and uh, I'm with you on Timmy Anderson. I, I'm hoping that big things to come. Let's head to the hot corner, third base. We have Chris Bryant, who I'm pretty much ready to take the L on already. Um, he's hitting 308, nine home runs on the year, even a stolen base to throw in there. And then you have Rafael Devers, 279 with nine homers and two stolen bases. Um, Chris Bryant's kind of outperformed expectations to start the year. Rafael Devers, I said, I would think pretty close to what people expected, maybe a little less than average, but overall pretty good. Out of these two, who would you like going forward? Yeah, this is another good one, and I'm right there with you. I have no Chris Bryant, and uh, yeah, I got some big FOMO right now. Um, I mean, I, I think Bryant has definitely put himself in that, you know, Arenado, Bregman, Devers, Tier. Like, if we're redrafting today, like, I think he'd probably be going right around that range um, with those, the rest of those third basemen. Um, I think at this point, I would take Devers going forward, but it's a little, it's tough. It's tough because you, we've seen, you know, with the thing with Bryant it, the last couple of years, you know, he's obviously been hampered by injuries, but he's he's been the MVP. You know, a couple of years ago, he had, you know, um, 30, 30 home runs, a 280 average. I mean, he's a talented guy, no doubt. And I think what we're just seeing here is him, you know, bouncing back, um, you know, healthy. And I, he, like, yeah, he's right there talent wise with those guys that would be going, you know, in that fourth round or so. But I, I think at this point going forward, I, I'm still going to stick with with Devers. Yeah, I'm still Team Devers. Uh, I love what he can do. I love the fact he even he'll steal you maybe ten bags by the end of the year, which I think is tremendous, especially at the third base position. Power's great. That lineup's still very, very good in Boston. Uh, Chicago's going to be good, but who gets traded? What goes on? If you look at Bryant's numbers, you know he's never had a barrel rate over eleven point seven percent. He's at seventeen. 
that's likely going to come down a little bit. Uh, his hard hit rate of 44.3. He hasn't done that since 2015. It's usually in the mid to low 30s. So that's likely to come down a little bit as well. All the X stats show some little regression. Still a good year. Hitting 280 or something's not bad. But, mm-hmm. you know, the insanely hot start. And a lot of the damage Chris Bryant has done is versus left-handed pitching. So you got to think about that as well. Is he going to how many, how many, we don't know, but how many lefties is he facing the rest of the way? Like, can you mm-hmm. just sit and enjoy that where Devers just hits like period. Yeah. So I'm going to go Devers, but I, I wanted to bring this one up because I was wrong on Chris Bryant. I'll say that much right now. Like he's uh, definitely outperforming my expectations in this one. All right. Two guys that uh, are kind of, one's kind of disappointing and one's doing very, very good. The disappointing one, in my opinion, is Yohan Moncada. Hitting 261 with three home runs, no stolen bases. Then you got Austin Riley, who was always a power guy for me. Only three home runs, but he's hitting 289, George. Like he's actually hitting for an average, which is just mind blowing to me. Do you take Yohan Moncada the rest of the way, hoping he figures it out and you know hits some more power and some speed, or you do you ride Austin Riley and go, you know what, he's still going to hit me some home runs and maybe a decent average. Yeah, uh, man. Yeah, this one is is actually harder than I thought it was going to be. And and looking at uh, Yohan Moncada, the thing with him last year that you know we kind of attributed to COVID was just him being so passive. And again, he's only swinging. You know, I, I think he's it's just about a forty one percent swing rate. Um, the the strikeout rate can be attributed there to him just you know, not swinging the bat enough. You'd love to see what Moncada can do because you know that, that you know, the, the talent is there. Um, if he could just be a little more aggressive. Uh, coming into the season, he had been on a good track as far as, like, you know, the, his um, his tre- trending the right way as far as, like, his contact. Like, the skills are have all been trending good. Um, so it's definitely disappointing to see him not be as aggressive and kind of, you know, um, give us the output that he's given us so far. And on the other side with Riley, you know, I'm not too sure I'm buying the the batting average. Um, the, the power isn't there yet. I, I'm still taking Mankata here, but it's more of me just kind of being disappointed in his output so far. I think there's a path for Mankata to to be that superstar that we've seen him be. Um, it, it's just he's got to be more aggressive. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. That's the thing that. Uh... It kills me. I noticed even like digging into 2020 numbers and a lot of guys are disappointed. The aggressiveness, like, like even Javi Baez, we'll go back to that. You go look at his profile, Glaber Torres, who still is not even as aggressive this year as I think he should be. Like a lot of these guys that we've seen in the past be super powerful, super bad in average, like all these things we love for fantasy, they've all stopped being so aggressive. And there's a point where I think people need to stop saying, hey, they need to, you know, stop being, you know, Vlad Sr. and start chasing stuff and only focus on the zone. And be like, no, no, no. Like, we're we're accepting strikeouts these days. Let these mm-hmm. kids swing. Like, screw it. Like, go. So it, it's interesting to see. Like you mentioned, um, just all of all of Monk. I got a stat cast page up. His zone swing. His zone swing is actually up this year a little bit. It's not it, like his norm. It's up a little bit. But his the biggest thing is his chase swing is down six percent. Like uh, that's something I'd like to see more of. His first pitch swing is down five percent. Some guys like Moncada, you almost want to see them. You know. If you know they're not swinging, these guys are start grooving them pitches for first pitch strikes. Let them get aggressive mm-hmm. and jump on that stuff. Like mm-hmm. let's let's mix it up. But I always laugh about it, like doing shows, my shows or other shows, and we start looking at the numbers like this. It's like if a dummy like me can look at these numbers, and I know a team's got even better numbers than these. What are they not seeing that that makes them say no? Don't do this. 
And right. it's more than just this. I get it. But there's got to be like a conversation somewhere, I'd hope. <laughs> or maybe that's why they're hiring Darren W to go work for Texas and stuff like these guys that do it for StatCast. I don't know. But I'm with you on Yohan Mankata. Austin Riley has always been a guy. If you need a lot of home runs, sure. But the average just blew me away that he's actually hitting for that. I do want Yohan Moncada. I'd be trying to trade for Yohan Moncada. I know there's concerns. If he didn't put it together, part of me wouldn't be surprised, sadly. But I really think there's another level to Yohan Moncada. And I think we have yet to see it this year. So I, I'd, I'd be trying to get him where you could. Um, a couple more here. We could have done a ton of outfielders, but I didn't want to keep you all night long. So I just picked a couple to discuss here real quickly. But um, there's some very interesting ones in my mind. And it was tough because, you know, some guys that came off the hot starts, I'm not comparing them to Mike Trout and stuff. That's like, no, we know the answer to that one. That's pretty simple. But um, let's start with Cedric Mullins. Hitting 308, six homers, four stolen bases. He's number one in Justin Mason's heart. Um, (laughs) You got Ced Mullins. And I'm comparing him to Alex Verdugo, who's hitting 291 with four homers and three stolen bases. You got Verdugo hitting second in Boston, right between the likes of they only rotate the leadoff hitters a lot, but they got Bogarts and Devers and JD right behind him. And then you got Mullins, not probably losing his job anytime soon, in Baltimore. Which one of these two do you like going forward? Oh, man. So I, I actually have a lot of Verdugo. Um, I, I was taking him a lot in draft season, but uh, this is another one that, you know, you kind of, I'm, I'm kind of buying, you know, he, he was definitely underrated. Uh, the, Questions about uh, the playing time questions were there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he's kind of picked up where he left off last year. He had three home runs, seven steals, 271. You know, this year, like you mentioned, the six home runs, four steals, 308. He's not going to lose that leadoff spot anytime soon. This one, you know, the, the definitely love the team context um, with Boston. I'm still taking Verdugo, but this is just another example of just a guy who uh, in Mullins who was, you know, undervalued and maybe he doesn't have the name power um, and is someone that, you know, you can go and trade for. Yes. hundred percent. I think I would go be trying to trade for Mullins. Like I'm with you. I want Verdugo rest of the way, uh, especially because I play in more and more OBP leagues. It feels like, and he's just a machine in that one. But um, I like what he's doing. He's, he's hitting lefties, righties. He's just a, he's a machine. He's been on base in every single game this year. If I remember seeing the stat correctly, he's just that good. So in an offense like that, with those boppers behind you, the run production that, you know, us fantasy analysts, I'm not going to say all of us, but I know most of us from what I listen to, we focus on home runs and stolen bases, sometimes average. He's going to score a ton of runs, like a ton of mm-hmm. runs. So that's something to think, keep in mind. I like Mullins a lot. Is he going to be this good the whole season? We'll see. I don't think he'll be this good. I think he'll be very fantasy relevant, especially in 15-team leagues. So if you go get Absolutely. him, definitely go get him. I'm with you 100% on that one. And I joke about it before the season. I've joked about it in recent years, like playing DFS and stuff like the Tigers once in a while, but the Orioles are always a great fantasy offense. Their team just doesn't win games because their pitching sucks. They always have so many good fantasy like hitters. Like these have at least three or four that are relevant every single year. So people just forget about them because it's the Baltimore Orioles. So something to keep in mind there. And the last one we have for tonight, two guys that I really was going in on in draft season. Uh, we have Mark Connor hitting 239, five homers, six steals, OBP machine leading off for the A's. And then Robbie Grossman only hitting 233 with three homers and seven steals and an OBP machine as well. So both hitting for similar averages. Both hit both like Grossman 377 OBP, Kana 344. Both power, both speed, very similar stat lines for the most part. Which one do you like going forward? 
Oh man, uh, I, I'm right there with you as far as like both these guys were two big time targets of mine, uh, and it, it, you love the OBP skills. And I, I liked the landing spot for Grossman in Detroit just for the fact that you knew he was going to play. Yep. Um, and so love that he's leading off, uh, getting on base, being aggressive on the base pass. And same with Connor when it came out that he was you know a candidate to lead off. I love that for him because you know. You know, with that walk rate, he's going to get on base. He's, he's got power to, you know, hit some home runs out of the leadoff spot. Um, and uh, I like that he's running as much as he is. I, I didn't think, you know, that was kind of the wild card there. Um, I think going forward, it, it really comes down to, you know, you mentioned the team context earlier with, with Oakland. Uh, I think he's going to score a lot more runs there. Uh, it's going to probably hit a few more home runs. Uh, so I'm going with Connor here. Yeah, I'm on Kana too, but it's one of those things with Grossman. Unless he gets traded, he's going to probably lead off the entire season, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no one, like you said, taking his job. Kana should be there too. Like, there really shouldn't be a reason not to, unless they all of a sudden go, maybe we should put Loreano back up top and move Kana down in the order. We'll see. But um, it's interesting because you could see both these guys potentially being 15 15 guys. And where mm-hmm. they were getting drafted, like, they were free, basically. It just, I, I, I guess, part of the exercise we did tonight, tonight was. It was also showing you that when you're drafting, there's so much you can get later on in drafts that we don't realize yeah. until, like, obviously it's like Captain Hindsight stuff, but it's just crazy thinking, okay, this guy we wanted in like the top three rounds, comparing it to a guy drafted in like rounds 15 through 20. Like, this happens every year. So um, it makes things interesting. It also says, hey, maybe trade someone or go trade for someone. So I'm going to go Marcana. I'm going to keep believing in that and that team overall team atmosphere there. But I like Grossman, I really do, but I actually, I actually think Connick can hit for like at least two fifty. Where Grossman, mm-hmm. le- Grossman leaves me kind of concerned that maybe he has like a two thirty to two forty hitter. We'll see. Yeah, but um, it will be quite interesting there. But George, that'll wrap us up, man. Awesome conversations. I could sit here and do this all night with you, but uh, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, why don't you once again plug everything you're doing? Let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, this was fun, man. Um, these these conversations are, are great. Uh, love the rundown of the of these uh, these players, these player debates. Uh, really, just like you said, opens your eyes uh, to all these values. Maybe some guys that you can go after. Um, so thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, you could find me uh, on Twitter at roto underscore nino. You can find my work over at NBC Sports Edge and Fantrax. You can listen to uh, hear me over on the Bases Loaded podcast uh, with Mike Kerland. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I got going on right now. Well, awesome, everybody. Go follow George if you're not already because he's an awesome dude for one. He is sharp as heck when you're drafting. Uh, he's in the Battle of the Podcast League with us. I haven't looked at the rankings lately, but I you have to be up near the top, I'd imagine, by now. Because um, he was just sniping guys left and right. He was a, a sneaky, sneaky guy there. But um, <laughs> I, I'd recommend definitely following him if you're not already and uh, checking out his content because it is great, great stuff. But, George, thanks for joining me as always, and I look forward to doing it again sometime. Absolutely. All right, everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 370 with George Montanez. Catch you guys later.
Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.